seven streams of income. That's how many revenue sources my guest today, Jay Klaus, has in his creator business. We're going to unpack every single one of them, including actual revenue numbers for the ones you might expect. My membership community was $161,000 of revenue last year. And other revenue streams that might surprise you. I just get a royalty check every month. So if you're a content creator looking to expand your horizon on what's possible from a revenue stream standpoint, then grab a pen and paper and get ready to take some notes. Let's dive into this episode. Jay, man, I am pumped to have you here. I wanted to chat about the consistency you've had in the past, I think, five plus years of creating content. You started out with the newsletter, Creator Science, have rolled that into a podcast, Creative Elements. What would you say, and you've, I believe you published every week in the past five plus years, right? Yeah. Like, what has been the silver bullet, so to speak, for you to make sure that you release something every single week? I like this question. We're actually making a video for this, for the channel right now nice. on consistency, because I think it's one of the most misunderstood understood ideas for creators and it, it actually can cause a lot of damage if you misunderstand it because a lot of people here be consistent and they think as I did oh that means I have to publish something every week and they start doing that and then they get excited about some other medium and now they're publishing that every week and they think being consistent is just this output on a weekly basis sometimes even daily if you're worried about social and it burns people out and it often leads to a lot of bad work because they are so committed to the schedule and they're not yet able to to actually perform to that schedule. And so they're feeling the pressure of a deadline. They make something that doesn't hit their own standards. They publish it. Now they're frustrated because they made something that they're not proud of. Meanwhile, they have another deadline right on their back. So when it comes to consistency, I think what's most important is to consistently get better. And having a schedule is a great way to do that. If you post every week consistently, that's a really good schedule that can be useful. But you can also have a schedule of posting once a month and still be consistent. You're consistent consistently publishing once a month. So if you're in the beginning, you want to get consistently better and you need to ask yourself, what is the schedule that I can publish on that allows me to put out work that I'm proud of that is to the best of my ability and also gives me enough time and space to get better. And I recommend that you start off slow until it feels effortless. Start by publishing something monthly. If that feels like you have way too much time and you could have done it much quicker. All right, now let's do it every two weeks. And once that feels effortless, okay, now let's do it once a week because things take time to develop doing really great work takes a lot of time if you look at like a marcus brownlee video i doubt they're turning that around in a week there's just so much involved there's so many steps that good work takes time and having a schedule of publishing weekly is really intense if you're getting started it can be valuable it's good to get reps in but i want to allow people to remove some pressure for themselves so they know they're doing their best work being consistent and keeping a schedule but that schedule does not have to be weekly i guess the newsletter will be the first thing that you were doing consistently what kind of cadence were you on? I started with a newsletter and I published every day for a year, daily. Shit. And it wasn't good. It did build a habit, a writing habit. It did teach me that I can rise to the occasion and do what I say I'm going to do. But if I read that or sent the same stuff as a newsletter today, it wouldn't be very good. It wouldn't attract a lot of people. But I did get reps and I learned from it. But a lot of people who would take that same strategy would burn out and never come back. We lose a lot of great potential creators because they just tried to go too hard too fast and had a bad experience and now they just don't want to do it. So would not recommend my path. And then I scaled it back to <laughs> weekly and I did it weekly and then I did a podcast weekly and now we do a YouTube video basically weekly and it's a lot to maintain. And most people who have a fast paced schedule like that have supporting teams. Even I have a video editor 
I have an audio engineer. I have a research assistant now. So part of the reason I'm able to do what I'm able to do, and it's not to the level of quality of other creators yet, is because even I have a small team. Yeah, and I think that's super important for that solo person just starting out, especially when you get that bug to compare yourself with other people. And you're like, well, Jay puts out a YouTube video and a podcast and a newsletter every single week. Like, I can do that too. And you don't see in the background what that person's doing. And most people who publish on a really fast paced schedule are batching the creation. It's consistent, fast paced publishing, but it doesn't mean that they're making all of those things that week. And yeah. when you're getting started, you're not as skilled at batching at a high level either. Even I, most of the time in writing this week's newsletter this week, <laughs> you know, but a lot of people like Alex Ramosi, they'll sit down and batch record 10 videos that get posted throughout the week. And it takes a level of comfort and practice to get yeah. to that level. Yeah, amazing. So you've been doing this for a few years. At what point did you become what I would call a full-time creator? Because I imagine at some point you were writing a newsletter, working a nine to five or some other type of job to put food on the table. At what point did you make this transition? I burned the boats in 2017 and okay. started writing the newsletter maybe two months prior to leaving my job. And for the first three years, I basically freelanced. I was doing services to pay the bills while building the creator business. And the creator revenue was enough on its own in 2021. Last year then was a huge improvement on that. And this year's off to an even better start than last year. So I would say that 2021 was really the year that things felt like, okay, I'm a full-time content creator now. I'm not just self-employed. I'm a full-time content creator. So that was four years in. Did you start phasing out some of that service work that you were doing? Yeah, actually. And that's part of the reason why I think the content business did better. I was doing client services through 2020. One of those clients was Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income. They acquired my online community that I'd been building up to that point to bring me in to lead their community team. And part of that deal was, okay, yes, you can acquire this part of the business. You can bring in the community. I'm going to continue to do my content business on the side. And they said, that's great. We fully support you in doing that. But I had no time to do services because now I had a near full-time W-2 position while still trying to be a content creator. But the outcome of that was because I wasn't distracted by service revenue, all the decisions I made for my content business were for the benefit of the content business. And I think that actually really accelerated the pace to the content business really covering my financial needs. Because again, I, th I think I have this in, yeah, so 2020, that was the first year of breaking six figures, but a lot of that was service-based revenue. In 2021, when I took the job with SPI, then I hit $150,000 and virtually none of that was service-based revenue. So it was a huge improvement in non-service-based revenue mm -hmm. from 2020 to 2021. And then last year, more than double that to almost $340,000 in revenue. So it was kind of a slow start, but now, depending on how much I want to believe in the projections and the data, it's a, it's a good trajectory. That's amazing. So you're leaning into it. And it, it, again, it just goes to show there's no overnight success. This is something in some way, shape or form you've been building for five years and just getting to the point that what a lot of people they kind of want or expect within like six months of starting something They're like oh like this should be a, a six-figure business i'm like uh, yeah the reality is despite the instagram ads that you saw this really doesn't happen overnight <laughs> totally and i mean nice. you can you can have a six-figure revenue stream come in but it doesn't necessarily make it a, a resilient business it might be a really great product and then you still have to do a 
lot of building around that to make it more of a resilient, predictable, reliable business. Yeah. And I want to dive into these different streams of revenue that you have. I'm just going to wrap them off real quick and then we'll kind of unpack each of them and tell me if any of these are no longer there or you've added more. So you've got patronage, affiliates, digital products, royalties, which was the most surprising one for me when I heard you talk about this, services, sponsorships, and memberships. That's the seven different tiers. Did I nail them? You nailed them. I I have stopped with patronage. Let's just start there. What is patronage? How big was it? And why did you stop it? I defined patronage in my P&L as the revenue that came in through a tool called Buy Me a Coffee. It's literally just like a tipping mechanism. I would put it at the end of essays or emails or podcast episodes to say, hey, if you enjoyed this, buy me a coffee. It was kind of like a fun, cheeky thing to say, if you like this, you can support my work here. And people did that. They would pay like $5 at a time to just donate towards me and the business. But I started phasing it out in 2022. And as a whole, it generated like $224 in 2022. So I just decided this is silly. Like, I'm going to remove this, save the space in all the places where it shows up, not be asking. There's nothing wrong with asking your audience for that type of financial support. And some businesses like that is their main revenue stream, even Wikipedia. It is Mm -hmm. basically a patron based system. But the business was generating enough revenue that a $224 incremental increase at the cost of the goodwill that I was building with the free content just wasn't worth it. I would rather make the free content truly free, put no pressure, no expectation on anybody, not even the opportunity to tip on anything and say, this is all free. Enjoy it. If I can be helpful, here are the paid avenues over here. One of those that was a little bit more lucrative than patronage was affiliates. So what are you doing from an affiliate standpoint? How do you integrate affiliates into your newsletter and your podcast? Like how big of a impact is that on the business? Well, last year affiliates was a little more than $20,000. So if I, I look at that, that is six percent of the overall business so it wasn't huge and i i've been kind of lazy about it to be honest like i actually feel like this is a huge area of opportunity to this point i actually had 26 affiliates that paid me some level of income last year and three of them accounted for like 80 percent of the revenue and the top two of those are circle which is the platform i use for my memberships and convert kit which is my email marketing software so my convert kit affiliate link is in the bottom of every email i send of which i've sent literal millions of emails and circle i had an article that was ranking really well from an SEO perspective about building community. So a lot of people, a lot of people came from that. I will do joint webinars and things with Circle from time to time, and I'll invite my subscribers. And if they register using my affiliate link and then make a purchase, that's tracked back to me. So it's not insignificant. You know, twenty thousand dollars is a serious chunk of change that yeah. is very useful in the business. But I, I don't feel like I've actually weaponized that as well as I could. How and much bigger do you think it could be? Two x, three x, ten x more revenue? I wouldn't say ten x, but definitely two or three. It could be as simple as sending a couple of direct email campaigns throughout the year to say like, hey, I use Circle for the lab and I love it so much. I want to host a free workshop on how I'm building my membership. Here's where you can register and then just speak to people about how they can build a membership. And if they get fired up about it, their next step is probably going to use the same tools that I do that I just showed them Circle being one of them. So it could easily be two or three X, but affiliate campaigns that are that direct, as I just described, 
also compete with any other direct campaigns that I want to do for my own paid products and things. So that's a balancing act. And yeah. I just, I, I haven't really gone that far because my my vibe generally is kind of the no sell sale. I don't really push anything very hard. I make it clear and obvious that I have products and services people can purchase, but I don't really like lean into any copywriting frameworks to show the problem and agitate and solve it. I, I just don't. I make it known that this is here and it solves a particular purpose and you can purchase it if you want. And even an affiliate campaign would kind of be in the face of that. Going into that point where you make it known whether you're one of those people that maybe doesn't push it as hard as some of the other marketers out there, but you do make it known that you have other ways for people to take the quote unquote next step with you and get to know you more and get to interact with some of the different things that you're doing. That would be probably your digital products would be the next kind of income bucket that would fall into. And what did that look like? How big of a piece of your business was that? What all do you consider to be digital products, at least in your business? Last year, that was about $32,000. And those are my full length courses and my 60-minute workshops. So I have close to a dozen 60-minute workshops that are $40 a piece. That was about $7,000 in sales. And then I have a couple of courses, one on podcasting, one on building a membership. I also have some freelancing courses, but they're minimal in the scheme of things. So courses are about 25,000. And actually, this is one of my biggest frustrations because memberships, my membership community was $161,000 of revenue last year, off to a really strong start this year, almost have the same amount of revenue in the calendar year of 2022 three that I did in 2022 already. So people want to join the membership and will pay into the thousands of dollars for that 12 month membership, which includes all of my courses, but I don't have a very good course sales mechanism on its own. So this is the biggest area of opportunity that I see for my business this year. And what I would recommend for most creators, like this is one of the biggest opportunities to build a living as a creator. And a lot of the creators who spring up overnight who are suddenly doing really serious revenue, it's usually because they build an audience and they built a digital product that was really good. And that digital product is like their entire business. And that's like an underperforming part of mine. So it's a huge area of focus and opportunity for me this year. The interesting thing about digital products, but I would say the more attractive thing is their scalability, right? right. To your point, yep. I mean, we've got, we've got one client in our agency and their whole business is a, a digital product, essentially a course. And they launched this course in September of 2021. Now they're doing like 8 million a year, literally uh, like seemingly overnight. That's on a and they don't do any paid ads. It's all from YouTube, organic YouTube content. And the more you sell, doesn't mean the more people you have to hire. Like with my agency, like the more I sell, the more people I have to hire. Yeah. Right. And that's the really attractive thing about digital products. So it's, it's cool to see that that's uh, maybe something that you're going to focus on and kind of crack the code on that to, to scale that up. I hope so. That's the goal. That's like literally my biggest priority for the next two months. And, and you hit on memberships there. So let's dive into that one next. What's the name of your community? It's called The Lab. How did you start it? Why did you start it? How does it help people? Well, I was doing online community in 2017, and that first community was absorbed by SPI when I came in to lead the SPI community. And then because my own creator business was succeeding, I went back out on my own, and I knew that was going to be a hole in my life. So... I wanted to create a community that helped people become professional creators, meaning actually made real financial, like we're able to cover their needs. And yeah, I started it in March of 2022. This is actually the one year anniversary of the launch of the community. And I've taken a lot of unconventional approaches to it. A lot of people start a community and they'll have like a monthly option that's pretty accessible from a price point perspective. But because my audience were already professional creators, people who were already making a living doing this or people who were like really 
really, really committed to making that work. I wanted to help people self-select for that. And pricing is a mechanism that I found. So I don't even offer a monthly option. It's annual only. And it's not super cheap. It's $2,000 a year. I wanted to build a membership that filtered for really serious, really talented creators who are already on the journey. And I wanted it to be financially incentivizing to me, even if I had other time to do my content business. Like, I don't want to think of my business as a membership company. Like, that's one aspect of my business. But I wanted to continue to make content. And so the membership couldn't be too many people or I wouldn't have any time to make content. So I had to figure out how do I design this thing so that I can keep the membership small by design, but still have it be financially incentivizing for me to spend the amount of time on it that I need to put into it. Congrats on, what is it, just a little over two months into 2023. And it sounds like you're tracking quite well to crush your 2022 numbers on that. But here's the thing, the community has a cap on it. I won't have more than 200 members in the forum. And so are, are you like, are you like, shit, I wish I would have said 300. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's there's some of that, maybe. I mean, I, it certainly feels like, wow, this is going really well. Like in, in February, we had 47 members join, which was very significant, but it also hit the cap. And so now, you know, it's, it's annual recurring revenue. So the folks who joined in March of last year, they're coming up for renewal this month. And there's no like extra sales that needs to be done. It's if you enjoyed this and you want to stay in the membership, then your uh, subscription will renew and things will just continue. I am going to open up a lower tier of membership. That's like the educational materials that I have, the courses and the workshops that I mentioned, but they're also educational yeah. materials I make exclusively for members of the lab. So the idea there is it's easier, it's more accessible, it's lower priced. That will help you get to the point where you can really take full advantage of the community. And if and when spots become available because people choose not to renew, then that lower tier will get first access to the, the open spots. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And the bucket of income that I was most surprised about when you talked about this was royalties. Now, I think this, in, unless I'm just completely out of the loop, is not a common income stream for, for most creators. So how do you get royalties and how big of a piece of the pie was that? That is from my course relationship with LinkedIn Learning. I'm a, a course author for their learning platform. LinkedIn bought lynda.com a few years ago. So they have courses built into the LinkedIn platform. And those relationships are publishing agreements. So it's like a book deal. Basically contract authors, give them advance, pay them royalties based on how the course performs. And I published seven courses with LinkedIn Learning. Nice. And so the money that you get off of that is just a percentage of the sale that happens on LinkedIn's platform. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's based on total views of the courses, total course revenue, and how my courses relate to that amount of viewing. So yeah, it's like a publishing deal where the advance has to be paid out first before I start collecting royalties. But now my courses started being published in 2018. So those courses have earned out and I just get a royalty check every month. And services was a, another bucket that you had on there. Is that something you're still doing? I think you were doing like one-on-one -on -one coaching. Rarely. Basically at this point, I get a lot of people who come to me and ask like, hey, can you help me with this? Can I buy an hour of your time? So my own only services at this point is I have a savvy cow link that has a few different types of like one-on-one -on -one consultations you can do with me. And it's, it's pretty simple. I just bill hourly. So if you want an hour of my time, it's $500. If you want a half hour, it's 250. Those rates will probably go up over time as I want to do that stuff less. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, I'm doing too many of these. So let's filter for people who really want to do this, but that's the only services that I do at this point. And the next to biggest one, I think, for you was sponsorships. Is that right? Yeah. Sponsorships and, and became a 
pretty significant income stream last year, the second biggest income stream. And it's because now I have three digital properties to sell sponsorship on. I have the newsletter that's 20,000 subscribers. I have the podcast that does somewhere around 50,000 downloads per month. And I have the YouTube channel now, which is new and smaller than those two, but growing steadily. And there's no reason to believe that it won't continue to grow steadily, if not exponentially at some point. So publishing two emails per week now and one podcast episode per week, it's a lot of ad inventory that I can sell. And if you look at a listener and they're getting started, they hear you and you got call it six different income streams uh, that are bringing in revenue, it might seem overwhelming to someone just getting started. You're like, oh shit, like which one should I focus on? There's the creating piece, right? There's like getting good at the craft. And then there's like, hey, I want to turn this into a business. For those people that are getting to the stage that they want to turn it into a business and for it to start generating revenue, which of these, and I know this is kind of a general question because it depends on like, or what are you doing? A newsletter, a podcast, a YouTube channel, whatever. But like, which of these do you think is the most accessible and quote unquote easiest to get started in? Easiest to get started would be services. That's going to be the quickest path to to making meaningful revenue because you can charge higher dollar amounts for the work and you need fewer customers. So it's going to be easiest, easiest to get started. Outside of that, um, I would say probably digital products, if it makes sense in your space. I lump revenue streams into two buckets, direct revenue and indirect revenue. So I, I push people towards the direct revenue side, things that you're selling directly to your audience, as opposed to indirect, things like affiliate, things like sponsorship. There's a third party involved in that transaction, and that third party has incentives and constraints, and they can kind of go away at any time. Sometimes they don't pay you, in, in my case, where Sometimes I have like don't pay a you. super lot, like they was like, we can't figure out how how to pay you. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> so something in the direct revenue camp, I think digital products is probably the right way to go. Services, by the way, also clearly direct revenue. Yeah. service. I always tell people like services is the easiest way to make meaningful revenue, whether you're like a creator or not. If you want to make money outside of your W2 job, doing service work is by far the easiest way to make some really good pocket change. Well, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you coming on here and being so transparent and breaking this down. I think that as kind of like basic and fundamental as this conversation was, it's going to expand a lot of people's horizons in terms of what's possible when you're doing something as quote unquote simple as a newsletter and a podcast. Like there's so many different routes to generate revenue from these streams. And I guarantee it's going to create some light bulb moments for people. And, and I really appreciate you sharing so transparently. Cool. I hope it's helpful. And if people want to talk more about it, just find me online. Yeah. How, how can they check out the lab or anything else you're doing? Creative would, Elements is the podcast. Yeah. I would recommend the newsletter, creatorscience.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all things that I talk about. We're renaming the podcast soon to Creator Science as well. So creatorscience.com is the way to go. Love it. Thanks so much, Jay. Uh, hopefully we'll get to catch up again soon in person. And thanks so much for coming on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me.